He battled the Great Recession to save Michigan's capital city from bankruptcy. He battled the talking heads and cynics in Washington to help save GM and Chrysler. Now he's on a mission to save the America that brought his father from Italy and millions of immigrants to build the greatest nation in the world. CNN called him America's angry mayor. Here he is, America, Verge Bonero. Well, thank you, Tom, <clears throat> and good morning. We've got a great show. I should say good afternoon. It's noonish. Uh, we've got a great show for you today. I'm very excited to have the former Democratic, uh, former Majority Leader, Senator Harry Reid, is going to be on the show in just moments. We'll have an impeachment update. Lots going on with impeachment, of course. Uh, we're going to discuss the historic blue wave. There was a bit of a blue wave yesterday, Tom, Yep. Uh, in uh, Kentucky. Kentucky elected a Democratic governor. What's going on yes. against an incumbent, an incumbent Republican beaten? Uh, Trump was in there campaigning for him. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the problem. Uh, historic win in Virginia. Virginia gone totally blue for the first time. I don't know, maybe ever. Uh, we're going to have uh, Mark Levine on, uh, who is an assemblyman and uh, uh, esteemed uh, attorney, has his own radio show. We'll get into that. Uh, we're going to have our holiday political preview with Dr. Judith Kovach, where we talk about uh, the question is, can you have politics and peace uh, over the holidays? We're going to talk about that with Dr. Judith Kovach. But first, let us go. On the phone, we have the distinguished gentleman from Nevada, former Majority Leader, U.S. Senator Harry Reid. Are you there, Senator? I'm right here, yes. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I've got so many questions for you, Senator. Um, first, l let me just start to say uh, you, you were one of my heroes for a long time. Uh, and let me say thank you for your service to our country, sir. Very, very kind. Thank you. Uh, appreciate all that you've done, all that you've sacrificed. Uh, I have a lot of questions, uh, both uh, political and process, legal. I know you're an attorney, a former city attorney. Is that correct in your hometown? That's true, yeah. That's right. So I do have some legal questions on behalf of some of our listeners. I want to start, Senator, with the question, uh, do you believe that the rule of law is in jeopardy due to the actions uh, of the Trump White House and this president? There were times when I felt concerned. But the more time goes by, the more I'm convinced the Constitution's going to save everything. I feel comfortable that even Trump, with all of his escapades, can't destroy our country. Because uh, and, and, and that gives me some solace. I take some solace in that from a, from a person like you uh, with your experience. Um, and we'll get into that Constitution and the oath that everybody takes. You took that oath many times. I took that oath as a legislator and as a mayor uh, to the Constitution. We take an oath, very importantly, not to an individual, but to the Constitution, as you say. But let me ask you, with your experience, Senator, have you seen this level of lawlessness at the top? Like, how does this compare to the Nixon White House, for example? I don't think there's any comparison at all. I think Trump makes Nixon's escapades look like schoolyard play. See, and, uh, and this is our first time meeting and our first time talking. There was no pre-interview. I had no idea what your answer to that was going to be. I just want our listeners to know. I have said on my Facebook many times that, from my knowledge of Nixon, reading history, one of my first political memories was Nixon resigning, in fact, as a young, as a young boy. Um, but reading about Nixon, I mean, I, I have put on my Facebook that Nixon was a Boy Scout next to, to Trump. 
because he's just at every turn, he has disregard for the law. For example, Senator, Senator Reid, uh, Trump has issued a blanket refusal to cooperate with seemingly all congressional investigations claiming basically executive privilege. Is there any basis in the law for this? Now, again, I ask you, as your both congressional experience and your legal experience, this executive privilege claim that he does not have to answer, you know, what, what does that say for congressional oversight? What does that say for separation of power? You brought up President Nixon. Nixon, and Nixon probably was in, complied with every request from Congress. They, they, they asked for papers. He got them the day they asked for them. Very important that people understand this, that uh, this idea that a president can simply wave his hand, uh, thumb his nose, to a co-equal branch of government. And I've said this here and, of course, on Facebook many times. We, we, we didn't elect a king. You know, I guess they wanted to make Washington king, and uh, initially they, they were willing to give him all sorts of powers. But we, we ended up with this re uh, democratic republic uh, where the president has to be held accountable. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. But so, so is Trump's impeachment by the House, in your opinion, Senator, all but assured? I believe that Nancy Pelosi, who, when she was first speaker, I was the leader of the Senate. I watched her then. I followed her since then. Now she's speaker again. She's very deliberate. She understands the House of Representatives is not the Senate. And she has total control, in my opinion, of her entire big caucus. And she's moving forward the way that we will want her to. Keep in mind what she's done. She's now doing public hearings. And the face of those public hearings is one of the nicest guys you could ever meet, Adam Schiff, former prosecutor. He's uh, very calm and deliberate, and the hearings are going public starting in a day or two. I think that this has been handled very well, and I think we're going to see that uh, the evidence is mounting against Trump. No matter where he turns, he's got enemies. He tried to get Barr to whitewash the entire Ukraine thing. Even Barr would not do that. He, he operates like a mob, basically a mob boss, where everything revolves around him and everybody is supposed to basically fall on a sword to protect him. Uh, I agree with you 100 uh, percent, Senator, on, on uh, Speaker Pelosi. I supported her becoming Speaker again. I think she has really uh, done us proud, and I mean as Americans, not as Democrats. Uh, she, she is a great American and a great leader. Um, so uh, how many counts, from a legal perspective, does it matter? Uh, could he be impeached, just to help people understand the impeachment process, could he be impeached over just one count? Uh, do you think there will be several counts? How many do you think there will be, and does it matter? I don't think it matters how many counts. What matters is that what they have, and now they have this thing, which is so clear, dealing with Ukraine. Uh, I think that's all they need. Now, I've heard people, of course, we've been hearing a lot about this quid pro quo, and the president starts this repeat, repeat, repeat thing that he does, and uh, he's learned how to pronounce it, and he says there was no quid pro quo. 
uh, and I guess quid pro quo in Latin means this for that. Can you help our okay. listeners to understand, Senator, uh, what does that mean, and, and is that essential? I've heard people say, well, it was more, it was extortion. Never mind quid pro quo. He was extorting uh, Ukraine for this money that Congress had uh, had appropriated to protect the country. Quid pro quo is no magic language. Uh, you can look at it many different ways. Use whatever term you want. Here's, because here's what happened. He went to the government of Ukraine and said, I'm going to give you some money. We have money. We know you're worried about Russia. We're going to need some military aid. But we're only going to do that if you investigate the Biden family. That's what it's clear. So, uh, and that was for personal gain. I heard a, a pundit the other night, I think Ari Melber uh, on MSNBC, uh, he was trying to explain the legalities. He said something that that would otherwise uh, be legal if the intent is wrong. Uh, you know, can become illegal. Uh, for example, the, the Republicans trying to defend Trump have said that, in fact, governments do this all the time, that they condition aid on, you know, the, the somebody or the government, uh, another government doing something that we want. They try to say, well, that's business as usual. Ari Melber pointed out the other night that uh, if he had said, I'll give you this aid, uh, provided that you do X that's going to help America— uh, it might not be an impeachable offense. But when, when you're asking the favor, quote-unquote favor, that he asked for, helps him. It helps his politics. It's inviting Ukraine to enter into and to interfere with the United States election, essentially. It's per, per, he's seeking personal favor, personal gain. That's not only illegal, it's uh, in the sense of the word, it's a crime. Right. Uh, and uh, we had a law professor on here, Senator, who explained high crimes and misdemeanors. Because I've I've seen even Republican uh, lawmakers talk about, oh, it's not a high crime. It's not high enough. We had a law professor on here who explained that high crime really means a public crime, a crime against the public. And uh, it seems like this is, uh, bless you, it seems like this is a crime against the public. Um, so... I wanted to ask you again, based on your history, your knowledge, uh, you were there for the uh, Clinton impeachment. Um, and, of course, you, you, you recall the, the uh, Nixon impeachment. Um, do you feel that, by comparison, this does fit the bill, what, the president, what, what President Trump has done in terms of high crime and misdemeanor? Well, uh, I'm not justifying anything that Clinton did that led to the impeachment. But let's be realistic about it. What Clinton was alleged to have done with Monica Lewinsky, which led to the impeachment, is so uh, small compared to what we have here with Trump. Uh, we have a situation where there's intimidation of a foreign government for personal gain. That is what we had with, with uh, Bill Clinton. And yet, and yet you had Republicans going for the jugular against Clinton, and, and, and now they're falling over themselves basically to to enable and accommodate these misdeeds by Trump. Well, you know, I've been uh, watching very closely because I served with uh, John McCain. I served with Lindsey Graham, uh, with Jolie Run. They were known as the Three Amigos. They were pals. 
but since uh, John has John McCain has passed, I am so disappointed in Lindsey Graham. Now what he's saying is that Trump is so dumb, he, he's incoherent, and he couldn't. That he's too that he's too stupid to he's too dumb to have actually done a quid pro quo. That's what he said. Yes, and and then he went one step further, and he said, in addition to that, I'm going to read no more information. I don't care what they give me. I've had enough. He won't won't read it. And I wanted to ask you that, Senator. Thank you for bringing that. I mean, I I am stunned by that, that that any senator, you're you're in the jury. And and again, help our listeners to understand, Senator, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the House, their job is to basically indict the president, to to list the charges. And then there's the trial in the Senate. The Senate is the trial. So, so here you have one of the one of the jury box, somebody who's going to be sitting in the jury box, Lindsey Graham, saying, "I'm going to cover my ears and cover my eyes, hear no evil, see no evil. I, I refuse to consider whether Trump could be guilty." I mean, from from a legal and for those of, and for those of us who served with Lindsey Graham, this is a sea change. He was so good. He was very articulate. He was a man of he principle, was, right? You get that. Yes, perfect, perfect, perfectly stated. He was a man of principle, and that principle, I'm sorry to say, has disappeared. And yeah, it's it is sad. I you know I don't as I've said here, uh, Senator. I don't I don't say this with any glee. You know, going after the president, seeing a president impeached. I think it's necessary, but but I, I, as a Democrat, I don't cheer about it. You know, I think it's a sad time for our country. And you you are our leader, and John McCain was somebody that I looked up to. You know, as a Democrat, but as an American, okay, I looked. To, I we want to believe that our leaders in the Senate that, again, you took that oath to the Constitution, that you're taking the country, your responsibility to the country, that the, the you know, you're putting patriotism above partisanship. And it just seems like Lindsey Graham has just completely is basically joined this Trump cult where, where Trump. Going can... back, if, you, if you go back to Nixon, the Republican senators at that time felt so strongly they went to President Nixon and said, you better quit, because cards are stacked against you. The Republicans, not the Democrats. Exactly. And and that's the way it will be again. And and one of my the, my question to you, Senator, is who who will be that Republican senator, like Goldwater, walked over to the White House and told, and again, even Goldwater, I have great respect for Goldwater. I'm a Democrat. I disagree with most of what he believed in, but I could respect the man as a man of principle. Who will be that Republican who walks over to the White House and says, uh, President Trump, you know, it's it's over. You, you, you need to do what's best for the country. It's time to resign. Well, I am convinced that impeachment will take place and people will be able to digest what is being presented. And I think that Republican senators are going to look to the future, their future, and just as as, as McConnell said the last few days, there are not enough votes to convict. I would bet on that. Not by the time it all comes out, because now we're entering the very public phase of the impeachment process in the House. And and they they have to start worrying about, they, I'm talking about the senators, Republican senators have to start worrying about their future, not the president's future. 
Well, I said it here a few days ago, a couple weeks ago, that the senators, it would be the Republican senators, that when the polls, the polls have consistently grown. This, the trajectory is totally on the side of impeachment, that, that there has never been an impeachment that was so popular at this stage. And as it moves into the public base, because again, it is so clear that the Republicans, when the polls, and Scaramucci, the mooch, the other day said the same thing, that when the numbers, that those Republicans will flip on a dime. When the numbers reach a certain point, which they will reach, uh, they will look at the polls and say, we got to ditch this guy. There's no personal loyalty to Trump, whereas Nixon at least had some friends. And even then, his friends had to say, do, do the right thing for the country. But Trump, who in the Senate really likes the guy? I mean, they're, they're supportive. They support him out of fear. It's fear and intimidation. Of, of a, I think of, one place we need to look is Tuesday night. Tuesday night. What happened in Kentucky? What happened in Virginia? What happened in the counties? And almost in Mississippi. I mean, Mississippi was close. Mississippi, this was a seat that was 34 percent Trump, and, and the guy won by less than 5 percent, the Republican. And you look at Pennsylvania, there are districts they talked about Tuesday night that have been Republican since the Civil War. Are now. He is, he is, Trump is, is destroying the brand. He's destroying the Republican brand. So what what grade can I can I ask Senator? We're we're about to wrap it up. I really appreciate this time that you've given us. What would you give uh, as a as a letter grade? What would you give uh, Speaker Pelosi? Well, I am totally prejudiced. I have such admiration for that woman, but I would have to give her a solid solid A. Yeah, I agree. So uh, uh, if you were a betting man and you're from Nevada. Um, <laughs> Uh, Vegas was in your area. If you were a betting man, I know it's uh, you know we it's nothing we joke about. But but if you had to to place a bet, uh, would you say uh, he first is he going to be impeached by the House, and then I want odds on the Senate convicting, please. I think the move toward impeachment with with it being handled by Schiff is going to really help. Please, it takes some time. I don't think they're going to get it done by the end of the year like they want, but they'll get it done. And I think the odds are that he will be impeached. The conviction at this stage is certainly not a done deal because Republicans are still locking arms around Trump because they're afraid of uh, uh, offending that, that base support that he has around the country. What would you put it at, 50-50 or 60-40 for impeachment, in the for conviction in the Senate? I think it's less than 50-50. Less than 50 50. In, in which case, it'll be up to the voters in 2020. That's for sure, yes. And I, I don't see how he survives after this. Well, well Senator. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday night proves that. Yep. Thank you so much, Senator Reid. We wish you all the best. Again, uh, we have great admiration. The American people, uh, thank you for your service. I do. Uh, thank you for being a beacon of, of light uh, and a great leader for our country. Thanks for joining Thanks for us. Thanks for allowing me to be on your show. Real, real pleasure. Take care, sir. Senator uh, Harry Reid, former uh, majority leader in the Senate. It's great to hear him, uh, Tom. He so sounds healthy uh, and um, just as sharp as ever 
on yeah. the on the political issues and the public affairs uh, facing our country. Yeah, uh, he really is uh, an amazing man. You know, his background is just uh, so amazing and interesting. And, uh, you know, he's one of the really one of the more thoughtful uh, senators in the caucus, really very soft spoken, very humble, uh, very thoughtful. And from what I hear, still active in uh, Democratic politics in the state, the state has turned blue, uh, depending on who you talk to, it's purple or blue. Um, but they have two uh, Democratic U.S. senators now, right? Yeah. Uh, in Nevada. Yeah. And it'll be uh, some people say it's a battleground. It'll be bad, But uh, we know Harry Reid will be there if there's a battle going on. He will have his sleeves rolled oh, up. And yeah, he, he is always there for a battle. So uh, we're going to go to we're going to take a break. Is that right? Yep. Uh, I guess I was right. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking. Uh, oh, we're going to have an impeachment update. I'm going to be talking. And then the rest of the exciting show, so stay with us. I'll tell you what happened. Good day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. Yeah, and welcome back to the Verge Bernero Show. The impeachment train continues to steam down the track, and the House of Cards, that is the Trump administration, is crumbling in all around him. The U.S. House leadership is now moving to the public phase of the impeachment. And folks, let's face it, it ain't pretty. Uh, even Trump's buddy, EU, former EU ambassador, where is he still? EU ambassador Gordon Sundland had a sudden change of heart and now says, oh, yeah, I do remember. Yeah, I remember something about that quid pro quo, after all. Uh, I guess staring a federal prison term in the face can really sober you up, Tom, and refresh one's memory. Yep. Uh, you know, because, of course, he was facing all of these uh, diplomats and these career people like Colonel Vindman and uh, Yovanovitch, Ambassador Yovanovitch and Ambassador Taylor, uh, years of patriotic, loyal service to this country. And then you had Sondland, who had, has purchased his position uh, with an over-million-dollar contribution to the Trump Organization and so on during the campaign. Uh, and uh, he initially, of course, just defended. He was going to lay down a sword. But I think uh, the issue of perjury and so on. He, 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 again, it refreshed his memory. And so, uh, Trump really has, I don't see where he has anywhere to go. Uh, the, the Republicans trying to support him. And that's, that's why, you know, we talked about it with, with Senator Reid. So you have Lindsey Graham now saying, uh, first he was demanding, I want to see the testimony. I want to see all this transcripts. I better see this stuff. If I don't see it, if it doesn't back up this claim, this quid pro quo, now that Schiff has has made the stuff public, he's turned it over, everything's going public, now uh, Lindsey Graham says, I don't want to see it. I refuse to look at it. 
This is it, it's it's all nonsense. Um, it's it it, it it's uh, it's like a um, what's what's the show with the Queen of Hearts, uh, the 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 cartoon. Um, they so I just don't think that the public is going to buy into this. Yeah, no, um, I think so. And you know what's amazing to me is is, is that. Uh, you know, this president expects uh, everybody to fall on their sword for him. That is more like a king than a president. It's a king. It's a mob boss mentality. Uh, you know, we've heard so much from Trump about the deep state, and we've talked about this here. The deep state is really, when you hear that, folks, and I, I notice he's saying it less because I think it's having less impact, but when you hear deep state, what he's really talking about is the deeply patriotic Americans uh, like Colonel Vindman, like Ambassador Yovanovitch, like Ambassador Taylor. And, and when you listen to those folks, it, what they say just rings true in a way that uh, the sincerity, the authenticity of these people, these are career public servants that love this country, that took an oath and that are serving this country. When you hear Ambassador Taylor talking about how he grew to respect and love the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainians' people, their desire for freedom, how they're looking to America, the young Ukrainians looking to America as a beacon of hope. You think back to Kennedy talking about how he would defend liberty anywhere, uh, that America had to be ready. And now here we are in this battle. Here they're battling Russia, the old Soviet Union. Here, here you have Putin, the KGB SOB. Can't say it loud enough. Putin, a KGB SOB. That's okay. what the guy is, trying to rebuild the Soviet Union all around him, trying to retake the uh, U Ukraine, which is an independent nation. And here Trump... So, so the, the deep state is this deeply patriotic group of folks, career people who serve this country and serve the Constitution and refuse to kowtow yeah. to Trump and his political ways. And, uh, uh, of course, it's absolutely uh, disgraceful when you see the, the head of the State Department not even willing to be Pompeo, refusing to back up these career people. Uh, and just continuing to basically be one of Trump's lieutenant in a mob boss fashion. Uh, th this is what we're seeing from these people, though, these career people. This is patriotism at its finest. I don't know the political affiliation of any of these whistleblowing, truth-telling, constitution-loving patriots, nor do I need to. They've earned my respect and admiration, and I think they've earned yours, too. If you're a red-blooded American that loves this country, that loves the Constitution, you got to love and respect these people that will not be pushed around. Uh, and they're going to stand up and they're going to tell the truth, even when they're threatened. Ambassador Yovanovitch talked about how she was essentially threatened. Basically, you better watch your back. You don't know what this means. I mean, these the stakes are high. Uh, and yet, in the face of all this, these people are willing to stand up and tell the truth. By God, if we don't stand up for that as Americans, Democrat, Republican, and Independent, if we don't stand up, if we don't stand behind these patriots, what, what do we stand for? All these years, my friends, that you've been taking the pledge to the flag, what have you been pledging? This is my question to you, to every one of you. What have you been pledging? And to those of you that ever ran for anything and won and took an oath to the Constitution, what, what were you pledging if you're not going to stand up for the truth, if you're not going to stand up now? This, the current occupant of the White House, from day one, I knew he was trouble when it came to power. And I hope you've queued up the first clip. When he came to power, Trump's maniacal and well-documented, you know, the question is, how did we get here? His maniacal and well-documented sociopathic narcissism 
and his fundamental ignorance and disregard for the rule of law and the Constitution. These were ominous signs from the start. Do you remember this? Just before he got elected, I can't forget it. I am the chosen one. Well, that's after he was elected. He was the chosen one. Uh, but who said, we'll get to the other clip. But who says that? Who, this is historical. What president has ever said, I am the chosen one and look up at the sky? What, what in the world, what is going on? But again, before he was elected, there were ominous signs. So this was when he was running. This was when he was accepting the nomination, I believe, at the Republican convention, this next clip. I alone can fix it. Gotta love that. I, now look, politicians, and I've run for office, uh, you certainly talk about what you could do, how you can make a difference. I never was tempted to say, I alone can do it. And you won't find any place where I said it. And I don't think you'll find any president who's ever said, I alone can do it. That there's something weird. Is it just me, Tom? I mean, there's something going on. Who talks like that? I don't... I'm the chosen one. I alone. Who? Th these are not Democratic things. Republican, Democrat. These are not regular people that believe in constitutions. These are kingly statements. These are monarchical. These are things that autocrats say, like in North Korea, dear leader, when you have an infallible leader. Th this is autocratic, and you shouldn't just dismiss it. I have some friends and family. Oh, you know, Trump, he's just talking. Oh, he just talks that way. No, he believes this stuff. He doesn't know the Constitution. He doesn't respect the Constitution. And all of his actions, as we just talked about with Senator Reid, the most lawless administration in history, basically, makes Nixon look like a Boy Scout. All these things come together. Because you see, before the election, he says, I alone can fix it. After the election, he says, I'm the chosen one. And then uh, what else does he say? Oh, I think we got a clip where he says, basically, once I'm now that I'm the president, I can do anything I want. I have an article, two where I have the right to do whatever I want as president. What? He's not a king. He's a president. Is he right about Article 2? No, he cannot commit crimes. He's not above the law. Uh, that's our whole constitutional system. If the president doesn't understand that, he doesn't understand. What? You see what I mean? Yep. Who, who talks like that? Not, not, not an American president. American presidents do not talk that way, do not believe that way. I'm trying to get my friends, my Republican friends and family members to understand this is not a slip of the tongue. This is not just some thing, some wild hair that he went off one day. From day one, from when he was running for office, he never intended to respect Congress or respect the courts. He intended to use them, just like a mob boss. Trump's loyalty is to himself and his pocketbook, the almighty dollar. Loyalty to country is what shines through in the testimony of these patriots. With him, have you ever sensed any loyalty to the country, any loyalty to anything but him? No. And this will be Trump's undoing. And that's virtual reality. Now, uh, is Mark Levine with us? Is, is Mark Levine? 
No, but he's going to be. He's going to be. I hope so. He's uh, he's busy uh, celebrating uh, Virginia's so, election. Uh, we had an amazing thing, and again with Senator Reid, we made, we referred to the blue wave that happened yesterday. Uh, it was election day in a number of uh, areas of the country. Uh, Kentucky ha- elected a new Democratic governor in Kentucky, a Republican incumbent beaten in Kentucky. Uh, now, when I hear Kentucky, I think Mitch McConnell. I can't help it. Okay, Rand Paul, Mitch McConnell, that's Kentucky. They just elected a Democratic governor, just took out the Republican governor in Kentucky. And Virginia, Virginia turned blue. The legislature, both houses, completely all Democratic. What is going on, my friends? What's going on? Notice it's quiet. You don't hear a peep out of the Republicans. Not a peep. Before the election, Trump said, hey, pay attention. What's going to happen in Virginia? What's going to happen in Kentucky? Like I say, they barely held on in Mississippi. Mississippi, they barely held on. So what is going on in Virginia? Virginia used to be a seedbed of republicanism. We have Assemblyman Mark Levine, lawyer, Fulbright scholar, and host of Mark Levine's Inside Scoop radio show. Are you there, Mark? I am here, except that I got to say, we're not assemblymen out here. We are delegates. Oh, I'm sorry. Members of the Virginia House of Delegates, which dates back to the Virginia House of Burgesses 400 years ago. So being so historical, we're quite persnickety about our time. Oh, I appreciate it. Other than that, the rest is correct, and I appreciate being on your show. Well, Delegate Levine, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Please uh, help us. Is it time to pop the champagne? I mean, is this the first time in how long that Virginia is totally blue? It's been 26 years. Uh, It was back in 1993 was the last time we had a Democratic governor, Senate, and and House of Delegates. Uh, But that time was a very, very different time in Virginia. Uh, During most of the 20th century, the Democratic Party was actually the party of oppression, the party of segregation. It was the party of the bird machine. It was the party of fierce resistance uh, well into the 60s and 70s. Uh, and and so even in the 80s and and nine you know early 90s we had a mixture in the Democratic Party with a few liberals coming in a few of the old guard left and then the Republicans were in charge for 26 years including some that were former Democrats. So now you over. have a resurgent progressive Democratic exactly. majority. Exactly. This is the 400th anniversary. I told you I like history. Uh, the Virginia House of Burgesses were the oldest elected body in the Western Hemisphere, and we've never had this progressive government in our history. Wow. So it's first, exciting. let me say congratulations. I have a feeling that you were involved in all of this. Uh, I was heavily involved, which is why I'm very tired right now. So, uh, so we <laughs> really, really appreciate your joining us. So help us to understand, uh, is this a bellwether, you know, the old canary in the coal mine? Is this a harbinger of good things to come? For, uh, for the Democrats in 2020? Uh, yes, it is a harbinger of 2020, but not necessarily for the 10 years afterwards. So uh, there's only one good thing that that uh, orange-corrupt monster in the White House has done, and that is he has helped us win elections right here in Virginia and across the country. It's the only good thing he's done. But it is largely due to him and his corruption and his ignorance and his racism and, and cruelty. It's just, it's, just, it's just too much. You know, I, it's just too much for the average. I mean, I understand that, like, suburban white women, he's getting, like, 34 percent around the country. Right. So, so people are coming out of the woodwork. We, what we see, the reason we're winning these elections, by the way, is not that the electorate is turning blue. People are like, oh, well, Virginia's blue right now. No, what's really happening is our turnout is through the roof. 
Everyone says young people don't vote. Not true. They didn't vote in 16, but they're voting in 17, 18, and 19. So, Women so, are voting. So, Mark. People so, of color are voting. So all um, those years when I went to rallies as a youngster and growing up in the Democratic Party in Michigan, and all those years that I was told and then preached that, hey, Democrats, if we show up, we win. You mean that was exactly true? That's right. That there's more that's of exactly us than right. there is of and, them. And the Republicans, I should tell you, are also uh, breaking barriers in participation. In other words, this isn't a question of they stayed home and we showed up. That's not true. If you look at, at, at 17, 18, and 19 in Virginia, the Republican turnout is higher than it's ever been before. But ours is super high. They're up 5 percent. We're up 25 percent. And, and the reason is Trump. It's people who are are upset and angry about this president. And so that's a really good news for us now. But it's also a cautionary tale. Because when President Elizabeth Warren or President Joe Biden or President Pete Buttigieg, whoever it is, comes out, the tide may well turn in the other direction. So the, the goal right now is to build a progressive majority that sticks around into the future. I agree 100 percent. Yeah, we have to stay motivated, no question. But but at the same time, uh, I mean, we do have to recognize Trump's, and I try to do that here on this show, I mean, his unique uh, the, the unique dangers that he poses, the, 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 the autocratic style that he has, his disrespect for the rule of law and for the Constitution. I mean, it is we just talked to Senator Harry Reid before you were on. And uh, basically, he, he agreed that Nixon was a Boy Scout compared to the, the, the violations that stack up with the Trump administration. No question. No question. Nixon is a parking ticket compared to what this guy's done. I mean, he's violating our national security. It's not just one or two or 12 corrupt things. I mean, it, it, it's hundreds. And I like to say Nixon had the decency to, to lie to us. Nixon had the decency to try to cover up his criminality because he knew it was wrong. Trump is openly violating, uh, whether it's the Emoluments Clause or it's bribery or betrayal of his nation, national security. He, he, he does it openly. But then the problem is his minions, his lieutenants like Pompeo and Sondland, and, and Flynn and so many that have gone down already, they end up getting caught in these in these pesky uh, things where, where the law, they're breaking the law, they're caught breaking the law, and they can't seem to get out. And, of course, I guess their only hope is that if Trump gets reelected and pardons them, if, if they're federal uh, or, or pardons them without getting reelected, which would be a whole different scandal. Right. Uh, you know, I want to see Rudy Giuliani in a nice orange jumpsuit. Oh, absolutely. Uh, right, yeah, next, Ju- right next to Bill Barr. But my, my point is this about Virginia. The national... A lot of this was nationalized, right? I mean, Vice President Pence came in, tried very hard, and and Trump was not welcome here. I mean, uh, in fact, when Pence came down, we in the Virginia Democratic Party highlighted that because we knew it would get more of our voters out than their voters out. So Pence, so uh, Pence is also a lightning. Pence is also a lightning rod then among Democrats uh, and independents. Yes, I mean, not the lightning rod that Trump is, but absolutely a lightning rod. And the other thing is that, you know, Virginia is changing. Uh, Northern Virginia is growing. We're a very proud, diverse population uh, and uh, with a very strong economy. And I'm just proud to be part of taking Virginia out of the Confederate South. Uh, Absolutely. To really forge anew. And, and, I, and, and we're the first part. I mean, I think North Carolina is right behind us. Yep. And then maybe Georgia. Uh, and, and so... It, it is really exciting, and what we have to do when we're in charge is to show that we can govern really well, and I think we will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's very exciting. Uh, so so uh, I assume you're working on an agenda there 
uh, a progressive yes, we agenda? Will, uh, we will pass the Equal Rights Amendment very quickly. Virginia will be the 38th state uh, and uh, hopefully final state. It only takes three quarters to pass a constitutional amendment. There have been three states that have taken back their their um, their uh, ratifications. So, but, but the courts have said they won't even consider those cases until we they have 38 states. Right. So we are the final state to at least put wow. it in the courts for the ERA. We're going to do some major, major gun violence protection laws. Um, Virginia is one of the worst states for guns in the nation, and we can become one of the best. Uh, a lot of the guns up and down the northeast coast are Virginia guns. Well, and we can put some, some really strong restrictions there. We're going to finally do something about climate change. Republicans have been fighting us on climate change for 20 years. Right. Finally do, uh, whether it's cap and trade or Reggie or debt metering, we're going to get involved there. We're going to raise the minimum wage. we do criminal justice reform. Lower the cost of health care. I'm just getting started. It's, I mean, it's very exciting. It's place. it's very exciting. I think the the um, gun regulation is difficult uh, at the state level. I think it's a worthy cause. I think it it really has to be national. That's where you're going to have the most effect. But but I applaud the effort. Well, uh, you're right. You're right. But if we can create a whole bunch of states right next to each other, right, that stops a lot of gun trafficking. So uh, we need right. background checks. I agree. But, but yeah. I do happen to know that the safest state in the United States is Hawaii from gun violence because they can pass strong resolu- uh, uh, regulations there and, and then no it. one can come in and right. bring guns there. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you can't even bring fruit or anything from uh, – I, I <laughs> Much was, less than AK-47. I was there with my wife for uh, a late 30th uh, wedding anniversary. Um, so uh, – uh, what, 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 let me ask you. I asked uh, Senator Reid. Let me ask you. You're, you're uh, very learned. You've been following this a long time. What do you think? Uh, even though you're not Vegas like him, uh, what do you think the odds are on impeachment? And what do you think the odds are on Senate conviction? Do you think that the public, that that if the polls continue to show support, do, does you know could there be sufficient erosion of his support in the Senate uh, to where Pence could actually be called upon to step in as president? Well, the odds of impeachment are 100%. Uh, 99.999, just 100%. We, yeah. he is, the man is going to be impeached. There is zero doubt in Which is mind. essentially, and just for our public, I continue to try to explain, that's essentially the indictment. That's essentially that's correct. being the, charged the with the crime. The House Representatives, by majority vote, will vote on one or more, traditionally there's three, but who knows, one or more articles of impeachment against this president, and I think it will happen before Christmas. Uh, that's actually the easy. So, the, so he's so he's officially charged, and then the Senate right. becomes the then jury. The Senate goes to the jury. The, the, and, the, and a lot has been talked about that the Supreme Court, the, the Chief Justice John Roberts, would come over, and he he actually presides over the. That's correct. That's in the Constitution. That's that's uh, this is not something that is Mitch McConnell law or can be changed or messed with. This so, is right there in the United States. Constitution. So 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 John Roberts comes over, essentially takes over the Senate for this proceeding. Right. Not uh, Mitch McConnell. John Roberts. That's correct. So, and so he would rule on evidence, and there would be lawyers for the president and lawyers for uh, basically the, the probably the House Judiciary Committee, although they can do it however they want. It, maybe it's Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler. Uh, they would prosecute the case. And Adam Schiff is a former prosecutor. He knows very well how to prosecute a case. Uh, and they would prosecute the case. There'd be witnesses called, cross-examination, and the Senate is the jury. And they sit there and listen to it all. If you want my predictions, there are a lot of people that are saying, oh, well, you know, no Repu- this is a waste of time. No Republicans will ever convict. 
I don't think that's right. I think some Republicans will vote to convict. I think the evidence is overwhelming. Um, I think um, Mitt Romney and, and, and maybe some other ones who are in some tough elections, and, and, you know, Cory Gardner or, or Susan Collins. It's true if the, if the trial were held today with no more evidence, there wouldn't be conviction. But the trial is not held today. The public is going to see how all the witnesses speak. They're going to hear Vindman. They're going to hear Yovanovitch. They're going to hear Taylor and Sondland. The evidence These seems to me to be very, very strong. And then I'll tell you how politicians act. They act based on what their populace tells them. Uh, a lot of Republicans have been telling me in Virginia and elsewhere for years, quietly, privately, they recognize Donald Trump's corrupt. They recognize he's ignorant and incompetent and horrible. But to their public, they don't say that out loud because they're afraid of being primaried. So at the end of the day, it's really not going to be the Republican senators who make the decision. It will be the people of the United States. And if enough Republicans lose support uh, for this president, that he's, you know, he's already gone down, you know, 80s and some would say even the 70s. If you start getting where only 40 percent of Republicans support this guy, he's toast. I think you're so right on, I Mark. think there's a real possibility of it happening. It hasn't happened yet. Let's see the evidence, and the politicians will follow the people. I agree with you 100 percent. And this is why on this program we preach constantly that the highest office in this land, the most important position, the most important office is that of citizen. We the people. We're in charge. Yes, we need people to step up and do their jobs and stop forfeiting their, you know, turning over their political brain and thought process to any pundit or any channel. They need to exercise their rights as citizens, get the facts. And I understand that it may be more difficult today because we used to just have three channels, uh, CBS, NBC, and, you know, Walter Cronkite would tell us the way it was that day. And maybe it was easier to get the facts. But by God, your obligation in this country is to be an informed citizen. And that means listen to all sides, try to get the get the facts as best you can, you know, know the Constitution, and for God's sake, stand up for the Constitution. If we don't as citizens stand up for the Constitution, like you say, the senators are going to follow the people. And that's why you and I are radio hosts. But the, the main thing is this. We live in an era where social media, Facebook, Twitter, has tremendous influence. So that's both bad and good. It's bad because, yeah, Russia and China can get in there and Fox can present its fake news and people spread fake memes. That's the bad news. The good news is social media allows all of us to be a pundit, to be very persuasive citizens. We all have our own printing press. They didn't have that back in the 1700s. Just a few people had a printing press. We all have one. So if some Trumpist says to you, read the transcript, you say, I did. What do you think about the fact where he says, I want you to do me a favor, though, and then he asks them to look into to Hunter Biden? How do you answer that? I read the transcript. How do you, you know, fight back? You know, the uh, Trumpists use these indicia of truth, what Stephen Colbert long ago once called truthiness. Um, <laughs> they read the transcript, and they're supposed to believe them because they said read the transcript. Well, first of all, it's not a complete transcript. But, and second of all, we I did read it, and it's in there. And third of all, there's a lot more than the transcript. But, but Mark, the but Mark. So but, people need to make the argument to their friends and not accept these facile answers. Um, yeah, even that's right. from, yes, Uncle Joe, who, who said Thanksgiving, and we really, you know, he's kind of lost it. But we got to explain even to Uncle Joe um, what you see on Fox News. I, I, I agree. Is, yes. It's not, it's not 
real news. I agree 100 percent. We've got a challenge. We've got to fight back. I think that people have gotten intellectually lazy. I think that they've I agree. They, they want to listen to a radio show and just repeat what Rush said or repeat what I heard here. They'll, 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 that's why Trump repeats himself. He'll say something three, four times in, in a very short moment in front of the helicopter chopper, chopper talk. Uh, and he'll he'll spew this stuff out. And then his followers will, will, will simply re- repeat it without reading this stuff. If you really look, I, mean, I look say the at, look same at, thing with me. If I say something on my radio show, or I say something as a politician, and I have my facts wrong, by you, you, you should correct me. And not yes. only will I not be mad at you, I'll be thankful because you're making sure that oh, I got a fact wrong, I got a year wrong, I got a detail Amen. wrong. I'll Amen. Correct it. I'm right here I'll do with a you. Better job. And here, here's how you know if someone is an honest person: is someone when you correct them. Um, says, how dare you correct me, I'm always right, that person is a liar. But if someone says when you correct them, hey, what's your source? I need to look at that. You may be right. Show me your proof. And then if you prove it to them, change what they're saying in the future, that's an honest person. Absolutely. And, and yeah, absolutely. I, and, and, and they stand corrected. I used to, I talked about here on our first show uh, that I used to take the bus over to for a, a class and the bus driver was a right wing conservative. I was a young flaming Democrat uh, liberal and we would have these debates. And, and of course, there was no Internet. And so we'd have to go out and, and, and find research. And sometimes I would come back with paper and or he would come back with a, a copy of something. And we would often uh, say uh, occasionally we'd say, well, gosh, thank you. I, I, you know, I learned, I didn't know that I didn't. And, you know, we would have had a bet on it or something for a quarter, but basically we were willing to consider the facts. And today we got to get back to that. We can't have polarization to such a point. Our next guest here, we're going to bring on a psychologist and we're going to talk about how to talk politics over the holidays. Our next whole show next week is going to be all about bringing politics back, having politics and peace at the holiday table. What are the, I'd like to talk to you again, Mark, because I'm deeply Absolutely. concerned. I'm deeply concerned that what we're doing so much many families are saying we're not going to discuss. They're banishing political discussion from the holiday. And basically, uh, this is how we inculcate the leaders of the future. This is how we pass on our, de- our, our, our small d democratic traditions and knowledge of the Constitution. If we stop all debate, what does that portend for our future here? I think it, yeah. it opens so I don't people. know what your psychologist is going to say, but I have had many, many debates with the people with whom I disagree. And I think that the right way to have them is, uh, you know, treat people with respect. Of course, if, if someone doesn't treat you with respect, then, you know, blast them. But, but generally, if you treat someone with respect, and they treat you with respect. And then what you do is you find some point where you agree first. You find something that you all agree, whether it's child abuse is wrong, you know, and they can get into the kids in cages, or we should discriminate on the basis of, of color, whatever it is that you can find common ground on. And then try to build out from there. And I always think that's much better than just, I'm right, I'm right, well, kind of arguments to get you nowhere. I really appreciate that, Mark. appreciate your taking time out. Uh, I hope you do get some R&R. You deserve it. Congratulations on the big victory in Virginia. Thank you so much for gracing us with your presence. I hope we have the chance to talk again. You're doing great work. Uh, and again, thank you so much. Get some rest, my friend. Hey, thanks. And thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Our pleasure. It. Take care. Thank you. Wow, what a guy. Uh, I think we're going to have to get together and talk about uh, um, political dialogue because he is a, he is a real pro at uh, debate and discussion. Yes. Maybe we'll get him on. That'd be interesting. Have him be the Democratic side and bring on a Republican speaker and see if he can practice what he preaches about right. <laughs> about uh, disagreeing without being disagreeable, uh, which is very important.
and it sort of leads us to our next uh, segment and our next discussion uh, is an interview with Dr. Judith Kovach, who is a, a licensed psychologist, and uh, I guess uh, she's going to help us to understand how we can have politics and peace at the holiday dinner table. A lot of us, a lot of you have banned political discussion. And this is going to be next week's show. It's going to be most of the show. Uh, it's going to be our holiday edition. This is just a preview, just a precursor of what we're going to be, be talking about. Uh, we, I am concerned that in, in one of the greatest democracies in the world, we have banished political discussion from the dinner table. As a boy, this is where I learned really the art of debate and uh, began to understand some things about politics was all these Italians would get together and yell and scream and you know, have their coffee and biscotti. Uh, uh, but there would be active, vibrant discussion. And now a lot of this is being banished because people say it's ruining, it has ruined a dinner or two. Uh, we've forgotten how to how to have these discussions, I guess, in a polite way. So, Dr. Judith Kovach, we've talked a little bit, apparently. Uh, and, and look, if we're honest, most of us, this has been an issue in all of our families. And so we're dealing with it personally. I want to help. I, I again, I'm deeply concerned for where we're going as a country when we don't have it. So, uh, Dr. Kovach, are you uh, is she are you with us? Are you on the line? Yes, I am. Good morning, Virg. Great to talk to you again, uh, Dr. Kovach. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, so we talked a little bit about this, and you were very familiar with uh, the concept of what's going on. And I wanted to give people—we're going to talk about this next week. We're going to dedicate most of the show to it because I'm so concerned about a democracy where, we, where we're not allowed to talk politics. Uh, what, what has gone on? How have we gotten to this point where the polarization in our nation is so bad? Uh, is this a new thing? Do, do you think where families cannot discuss it? It's, I, I've never heard so many people say we've just we, we just don't talk politics anymore. I thought it was just my family. Then I find out it's all, it's everywhere. Well, I think you're right, Virg. Um, and I think what we're seeing is that the hyperpartisanship in our politics today has led to a divisiveness in this country that hasn't been seen since the Civil War and, and Jim Crow. Now, you were you were here during the the, the Vietnam. Maybe maybe you remember some of the Vietnam protests. Uh, do you, I, you you had been a young girl, but do, do you remember some of that? And, and I assume that was a polarizing time. Uh, and, you know. But, and, and how can I we... think people disagreed on on the war, but but the uh, what was different then is that there were people in the middle who could still have a civil discourse. This time, there's no middle ground. People are on one side or the other, and there's nothing on which they believe they can come together. I don't think that's true, and I think when. When people discuss politics, they need to talk about what they agree on as well as what they disagree on. So, so I mean, Judith, most Americans, for example, think we need to have some sort of, of, of health care. Um, we may disagree on what that should look like, but we need to remember what we agree on. And when family discussions turn to politics, which I agree is not only um, a healthy discourse, but I think it's a way of teaching our children how to have a civil discussion when they disagree and to counteract the role models that they're seeing um, in the news. Let me say, let me say, bingo, bingo, so loud to that. Exactly my point. If we're not modeling 
better behavior. It's like, you know, sometimes you'll see on the field at, at a soccer team when you see adults, you know, behaving worse than the kids in terms of sportsmanlike conduct. If we aren't in our homes, at our dinner tables, at our holiday functions, if we aren't modeling behavior because we've got to keep it sanitized, I, I believe, and this will be a question I'm going to ask in, next week, Judith, is... Are we setting our kids up by 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 raising them in an artificially neutral or or antiseptic political environment? Are we setting them up to be members of more more of like a political cult? You know, by not having, are they more susceptible to lies and political claims and extremism? Say like the Nazi Party, the Aryan Nations, by not inculcating them in any kind of a normal political discourse. That's a discussion. So. I think that's absolutely a possibility. Um, It is good to have um, a a two-party system and a system where there are differences and people have choices. Um, But our children aren't being raised in, in, um, in an atmosphere that's neutral. They hear the news. They watch television. They know what's going on. And to make it a forbidden topic... Um, does not help them um, look at both sides, which is what we all need to do. Amen. Neither Amen. side is completely right or completely wrong. And we have to look at what we agree on and have uh, a reasonable and reasoned discussion about our differences without uh, vilifying the person we're talking to. That's the key. Well, you, you, you are as articulate as ever, and I think we're going to run out of time here, but this is just a taste. I wanted to give people a taste of the show for next week where our holiday edition, we are going to be discussing peace uh, and politics, peace and politics at the holiday dinner table. It's going to be our holiday edition. I think that uh, to have a vital democracy, you've got to be having these discussions in the home. And to keep it antiseptic and to ban political discussion, that would be like saying, we're not going to teach our kids the ABCs. We're not going to teach basic arithmetic. We'll let the school handle that. We'll just let them do that. We'll, we'll let the professionals handle it. By God, you are the professional citizen. The highest office in the land is citizen. And that means what you do in your home, teaching your kids exactly as Judas said, letting them know there are two sides, at least, to every issue, and leading that debate and guiding that debate. And next week, Judith, we're going to ask you to help us to set some parameters and some guidelines so that we can keep people safe and keep the holidays enjoyable, but still promote democratic dialogue. So we're about. I will be happy to do that as I think about how I'm going to be doing that for my own family. Yes, amen. Th- thank you. Am- thank you so much, Judith, for joining us for this little snippet. Uh, we are out of time, and we will look forward to next week. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, well, it's been my uh, pleasure. Fantastic. Um, So you can look forward to that holiday edition next week. We're also going to bring, I think, Colin Schwartz back from Done Good to talk about holiday buying, how you can uh, uh, be both socially responsible. uh, And so you'll want to definitely tune in to The Virgin Bonero Show next week on NRM Streamcast. Thanks so much.